and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Delbo Rohaj and I'm a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I'm joined by my friends Giselle Donnelly, I'm also at AEI, and Yulia Zhoja with the Middle East Institute, Georgetown and George Washington Universities. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace and security that have erupted along a line running from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. Our special guest today is Alex Goncharenko, a member of Ukraine's Verkhovna Rada, the parliament. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Alex, it's great to have you back. You were on this show before, and I want to just jump right in. Uh, in the Republican primary debate this week, the presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy claimed that Ukraine was not a democracy, that it banned 11 opposition parties, consolidated media under state control, and threatened to postpone its election unless the United States forked over more money. He also called President Zelensky a Nazi. You are an opposition member of parliament. Do you feel like you're living in an autocratic, undemocratic state? Hello, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm also happy to be back to Eastern Front and you're doing a great job. Thank you for doing this. I think we need to do, there are two parts of your question. First is about Vivek Ramaswamy. So definitely like, in fact, he called Nazis also Churchill, for example, by this, because there was no elections in the United Kingdom from 1935 till 1945. And it's clear why, because you can't have elections when bombs are falling on your head. And exactly what going on now in Ukraine. It is even different because during time of Churchill in the United Kingdom on the soil of the United Kingdom was not a ground fighting and in Ukraine we have 20% of our territory occupied and we have a heavy fight, you know, every day. So speaking about people like Mr. Ramaswamy, either they don't understand the real situation or they are doing it consciously, maybe being like Putin's fans, I don't know. If Mr. Ramaswamy is interested in what's going on in Ukraine, he can come to our country and can see everything by his own eyes. Answering second, so definitely what, what he said is a complete manipulation and is a, a dangerous manipulation because uh, things like this, they, they change the attitude of US citizens to what's going on in Ukraine. And it's bad because in Ukraine, there is a very important fight for the whole free world, for international law, for democracy, for all values which we share with the United States. And also this is important for security of the United States because if Putin's war machine will not be stopped in Ukraine now, then U.S. soldiers and officers will die to stop this war machine in future. So that is a very bad story what he's saying and it is not true. And this is manipulation bad both for Ukraine and for United States themselves. Then speaking about situation in Ukraine and uh, exact things, I can tell you that we have autocratic tendencies in our country and President Zelensky, we can see autocratic tendencies from him and his office. That's true. In general, martial law time, it's not the best time for democracy to flourish. But unfortunately, there are things where the war is used for justification 
of things which are just in the political interests of him and his team. For example, the you know, so-called national teleton, which means in reality that all major TV is under control of the government. And at the start of invasion, like it was completely understandable why the situation was like this, because people needed one source from of information, where what to do, where to run. It was important for security and safety of people. But after 20 months of full-scale invasion, there is no any sense in this. And uh, any government in the world would be happy to, to control media. And that is not a good thing to let them do. And even in the time of war, definitely, there should be censorship of things connected to security and to fight against the enemy. But unfortunately, it is also used to limit the debate in the country. The access to this national teleton is not equal. It's mostly about ruling party. Opposition is almost not present on national teleton, which is the problem which is not right and which should be changed. Alex, if we could uh, shift away a bit from Vivek Ramaswamy, who mercifully still an outlier in American politics. One of the things that has been sort of most disturbing has been the confrontation between General Zaluzhny and the president. It comes at a kind of unfortunate time, and it's a little bit hard for me at a distance to understand uh, really what's going on here. You know, the general has a very fine reputation here in the United States. He's been an eloquent sort of embodiment of Ukrainian resolve and, you know, realistic leadership. Can you kind of give us a little, and for our listeners uh, who may not know, may not recall the details of what the general said and, and how the president responded, uh, might be worth reviewing the evidence as well. But that, again, I, I didn't know what to make of that. and I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah, that's a question which is widely discussed inside Ukraine too. So again, it's a complicated question because first of all, like we can't say that there is any conflict between President Zelensky and General Zaluzhny because none of them said anything publicly about the other one. We know what we know. There was an article of General Zaluzhny in The Economist in which General said the fact that in reality we all know that Ukrainian counteroffensive was not so effective and successful as we all wanted it to be. He called the situation, I'm not now quoting because I don't remember the exact wording, but he called the situation uh, a stalemate in the current technology reality. And he said, as a military general, person, commander, he said what, from his point of view, can be done in order to get out from this stalemate and to, to defeat Russia on the battlefield. There was five points which he mentioned, and that was an important article. Mostly, I mean, from military point of view, it is very interesting article for specialists because it's about modern warfare. But the discussion started from interview, which was a separate material in which he said what, what I said now. And after this, there was a public reaction of Office of President saying that what he said was not right and that it caused the problems in our cooperation with our partners. So we can say that there was reaction on this article and the Office of President didn't like it. it maybe it's too much to call it a conflict, but yes, we saw and we heard some disagreements inside political military leadership of Ukraine. Definitely it's not good because we want to have complete agreement 
But from another point of view, after 20 months of invasion, after all the suffering which Ukraine has, and all of these are our life people, people have emotions, even generals and presidents. So I don't think that we have some serious problem right now, but we are concerned that maybe that can be in future. So it's like a maybe long answer. I know maybe you wanted something more concrete, but I really don't want to feed you with fantasies, you know, because there is no any word from General Zaluzhny himself. And, and Zelensky himself didn't mention Zaluzhny, but we clearly see that Zelensky tries to be like more optimistic and Zaluzhny showed himself in this article like some kind of a realism he showed. So I want to add, you said about embodiment. I just want to ask our listeners that please, all this embodiment, the story about Ukraine and the, the importance of what's going on in Ukraine is much, much bigger than one or another person. So when, how to say in Bible in English, don't make an idols, right? Or something like this. So there is no ideal people and Zelensky is not, Zaluzhny is not, but the story about Ukraine is much bigger than Zelensky, than Zaluzhny. It's about the whole world and the future of the world for next decades. So that's why, again, all this embodiment is always a tricky thing. People can make mistakes, all of them. So yeah, these mistakes should not lead us to any increasing of the significance of what's going on in Ukraine. That's a point well taken, Alex, but I want to contextualize this maybe a bit further and you let me know what you think about that. The article and the interview that we're talking about in The Economist around Zaluzhny was published immediately after also a big feature piece in The Time that covered uh, Zelensky's most recent visit to here to Washington that did not go really well. And on both sides of the Atlantic. I think we've been pretty disappointed and it circles around, of course, the chaos that we have here in the House of Representatives and the inability to pass aid for Ukraine, military aid in the next few months. And the story in the time is to me, the way I've read it, centered around at least one anonymous close source around the president in the president's office or in his immediate circle of advisors, could be Zaluzhny, could be someone else, that is arguing that Zelensky's definition of strategic aims and of victory is too maximalist in comparison to what we have in reality. And that is a strategy, a adopted by the Biden administration, led across 50 countries in a coalition the world has never seen before, that is in essence incremental, right? With this incrementalism, what then Zaluzhny is saying is, we do not have, thank you very much, dear West, for all your incredible support, but you have given us the means to stop the Russians, but not to make significant gains. And it's about quality of weapons and quantity and timing and things that we discussed so many times, including
recording with you, Alex. And so basically, you tell me how you interpret these connections and whether we have a mismatch of realities and strategic aims. And essentially, also the question of in this light of what is happening, including with the house, how big is the disappointment that the time piece specifically centers on the disappointment within Ukraine and maybe of personally Zelensky too with the West's strategy of support for Ukraine? Yeah, really, we, we spoke with you and I think that you, you remember several times about this. And you can remind that towards, I think, the beginning of this year, when I, I was telling, being in Washington and meeting in person with you and some of your friends and colleagues, I was saying that this incremental way of weaponry supply is very dangerous because it gives Russia a possibility all the time to stop and that gives time to Putin. And also, I was saying exactly what now Zaluzhny said in the Economist article, that we can be provided with weaponry in this or this way, but nobody is going to provide us with people, and nobody is going to provide us with boots on the ground. And man force is a key thing, and that was I telling that to my American friends, partners, colleagues, that if you will give us the best possible weaponry, but in, I don't know, in several years, the question is, who will operate this weaponry? Definitely that was a problem. And now we have a fruits of this problem with, uh, I'm not a military person to make estimation, but Zaluzhny said, this is the reason why counteroffensive was not really uh, successful and oh, is not really successful for the moment because the fighting continues. The way and the weaponry which we received, it was insufficient to have a serious breakthrough. So that, that's true. We, if you ask about disappointment, definitely there is like Ukraine is exhausted. 20 months of such full-scale invasion. And don't forget, please, that soon it will be 10 years of this war. The war started in February 2014. And we are close to a decade now of the war. Definitely people are exhausted. Definitely people wanted more from our summer campaign. I think everybody, starting from president, ending with a soldier or just ordinary people, definitely there is a feeling, yes, we are very thankful to the West for the support. Because without this support, we just will probably, many of us would already be dead, killed by Russian. But that is also this dilemma and the problem which we spoke with you about several times. It looks like many people in the West, or like majority, wants Ukraine to win, but at least part is afraid of Russia to lose. And this schizophrenia, sorry to say this, political schizophrenia, that makes this problem. And definitely, yes, we would like to see more weaponry supply quicker in bigger numbers without all these long, long, long hesitations. But we have what we have and clearly understand that without West, we don't have chances. So we hope and I hope that this article of Zaluzhny and the results that we have for the moment, they will change attitude to many of these things in the West. I don't know will it happen or not, but I hope so. So you say that Ukrainians, yourself included, are exhausted and there are good reasons for that. What is striking to me is that there are many people in America who say that they are you know, suffering from an Ukraine fatigue whereas there are no US troops fighting on, on the Ukrainian soil, nobody is getting drafted. 
It's just either 4% of Pentagon's budget that is dedicated to basically replenishing Department of Defense's military stocks while the United States is sending all the equipment to, to Ukraine. That, that form of fatigue, I think, is, is, is much harder to explain than the one that Ukrainians are, are suffering from. May I, sorry, interrupt you, but I think this is a part of a bigger picture. This is a part of kind of internal discussion in the United States. Like, United States, that's the question. Does United States want to be a leader in the democratic free world or not? Because if yes, the answer is so clear. Ukraine is democracy. We are fighting on the side of democracy. We, it's a side of good. We never attacked anybody. We were brutally attacked. Putin is a bully and a dictator and a tyrant and so on. So there is no any reason for United States not to help Ukraine as much as possible, except one. If the United States will decide not to intervene in any foreign affairs abroad. But this is a completely different place of the United States in the world. And probably that, that is a real, real discussion about. It's not about Ukrainian fatigue. Maybe it's about fatigue from U.S. leadership. And yes, for leadership, you also pay the price. But the leadership also gives you benefits. So that is something, but I'm not intervening in, in a U.S. internal politics, but that is just my thoughts. Oh, go ahead. We need a lot of help, Alex. Yeah, I don't think we have decided. I think your question is entirely valid. I think Ukraine is, like you said, an entirely valid and perfect example of that. We're hesitating whether we want to be leaders, and that's cross-generational. And the other option is also a long-time issue of the United States and that's flourishing isolationism. And so, yeah, I think that's a big debate that everyone should be participating in. But Donibor. On, on this note, I mean, it is striking that the last time this country decided not to be a global leader, it just bought itself, you know, few more years, perhaps even just months until it was dragged into a global conflict. And, and, and so, so I think, you know, it's, it's exactly as ill-advised today to take on this, this isolationist posture as it, as it was then. Um, to talk about something a little more cheerful, so, or, or perhaps not. Um, the European Commission decided this week that Ukraine was ready to start its accession negotiations. I was wondering whether you could sort of give us a sense of what the Ukrainian expectations of that process which is starting are because clearly this might go on for very long it's going to be technical it's going to be complex and i think there is a lot of risk of eu member states not being always helpful and not always trying to come up with constructive solutions that will accelerate ukraine's accession i mean the governments in in, in budapest and bratislava not exactly pro-ukrainian so i wonder to what extent you are clear-eyed about this being you know a difficult process to what extent you are worried about about a potential backlash against the EU and the West if the EU won't be able to sort of deliver on what Ukrainians see as, as the sort of European promise that they fought so hard for since since the Revolution of Dignity. Uh, first of all, this is a historical thing. We, I am extremely happy that one, you know, in recent months, there are not many good news unfortunately for us in the world and that is uh, what's going on in the house of representatives that is slovakia that is uh, speeches like you mentioned of mr ramaswamy and others and finally we have a good news very good news about Ukraine and the decision of european commission to start accession negotiation the recommendation because the final decision will be made by a european council but now we are very optimistic about this decision 
this is extremely important. Definitely nobody can tell you how many years will this process of negotiations will take, but we will do everything we can, absolutely, to use this window of opportunity, which really is today. I don't know what will be in five years, so I think that Ukraine, we just shouldn't lose any second in this process. We need to move as quickly as possible. And uh, for the moment, I see political will from European uh, mainstream to, to support us in this. And that is very important. That is very right. We need to continue on this way. Any question should be like forgotten because that is the process from which the destiny of Ukraine and not just Ukraine, but also, but first of all, Ukraine depends. So yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and th that is very important. If I can just quiz you on, on, on that a little bit more, are you not worried about the Ukraine fatigue setting in, in Europe, especially Western Europe, and some European leaders trying to use the accession process as a lever to, you know, force Ukraine to negotiate or, or to make concessions or to abandon the sort of maximalist goal of retaking Ukraine's full territory? And not just the West, but also Hungary. I mean, Hungary is right now the villain that we're looking at for the next month that is saying actually we're not ready to do this and Ukraine is not a ready democracy and they should go back to negotiations so it's a problem that you have east and west in the long term and in the short term I mean that's uh, your question is and all about this war fatigue thing that I found right words what I want to tell you and that is about US fatigue possible Ukrainian fatigue anywhere and anything else. There is one thing which is said in the article of Zaluzhny that should be absolutely clear for you. You should be absolutely aware of this. This thing sounds like this. Putin is not stopped yet. I think that that should be sobering everybody. If people think that it is just about destiny of Ukraine, but in, in general Putin is stopped, it is not. And if Putin, and I just want to be absolutely clear, I don't want to threaten anybody, but I want you to realize one thing. If Russia will have success in Ukraine, like even not taking the whole country, but taking quite a big part of Ukraine and winning this war, even not completely, but in general, you need to understand what monster Russia will be. The Russian army today is stronger than it was before February 24, 2022. Yes, it's stronger. Why? Because many of Russian techniques is destroyed, Russian soldiers and officers are killed. Yes, but Russia received a unique battle experience of the warfare of 21st century. And there is only two armies in the world for the moment who have these so big, so important battle experience, real combat experience, is Ukraine and Russia. Definitely the United States Army is very strong because of technological level of weaponry and yes. But this experience is really crucial. I'm watching what's going on in the Middle East. And when I see the columns of Israeli tanks moving, I just want you to understand that in Ukrainian reality of the war in Ukraine, this column would be destroyed in hour, in one, maybe in minutes. So even Israeli army, which was considered very strong and efficient, and is considered today, they are fighting more the war of the 20th century, 
what I see, of the end of 20th century. And Russian army and Ukrainian army are fighting the war of 21st century. And if Russia, with this experience, will take part of the human potential of Ukraine, which is millions of people, and after being complete, and also don't forget that Russia is now moving to a voltage economically. They are not so dependent from, like before, they were at least stopped by some fear of sanctions, fear of some international organizations. But now we can say international organizations failed to stop Russia in any way. Sanctions, they really survived them. That's a big, another big story, why and how, but they survived them. So just imagine this country on a war footage with a very experienced army taking the human potential of Ukraine, big human potential, at least part of Ukraine, and being completely already in the blood and be, being a bad boy in any way. Do you really think that they will stop? They will never stop. They, 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 can't, they can't stop. They only can be stopped. That is sound, and they are not stopped for the moment. And all this fatigue, especially for Europe, is crazy because Warsaw, Bucharest, Budapest are so close to Russia. And Russian tanks were in these capitals just 30 years ago. Okay, 40 years ago. 35. And, and it was just from historical point of view, it was a moment ago. So that's crazy for, to forget about this. And that is crazy to have any fatigue. That is in the best interest of all of them. Speaking about Orban, I think he is just a Putin's agent. That's what I think. I think that he is dependent from Putin. I don't know what is the question. Is it money? Is it any mailing? I don't know. But Orban is a Russian agent inside. It's a Trojan horse inside the free world. Orban himself, I'm not speaking about Hungary as a country and as a nation. I'm speaking about exactly, exact person and exact politician. He will do everything he can to stop it. But if Europe will not be strong enough to put Orban on his place, and to stop his malign activities, that means that there is no future for a European project. If one person on such position can stop the strategic things for hundreds of millions of people, then this project is not really alive. That's what I want to tell you. Alex, that was a brilliant performance. The West may be tired of the war, but the war is not tired of them. So your point is well taken. If I could sort of bring us to conclusion with reference to what I think is actually very good news, but news that certainly in the West has not gotten much attention. And that is the, the conclusion of the Maidan trial, the investigation into particularly the shootings that accompanied the uh, revolution of dignity. First of all, the decision strongly affirmed the accusations made against Viktor Yanukovych and the secret police for sniping at protesters. But the thing that sort of struck me, and I've picked this up from some other people as well, is that the court suspended judgment where it didn't have evidence. I think there were a handful of cases that were rendered or the decision was not proven, which struck me as a very mature thing to do. That's the kind of thing that certainly um, the judiciary in autocratic countries does not do. They decision first, uh, evidence later, political verdicts are 
always the case. But it struck me, again, just as kind of a very small but very, very important measure of democratic maturity and institutional maturity on the part of the court and on the part of Ukraine more broadly. I'd be interested in your take on that and to understand how Ukrainians are viewing the decision. Is it, does it feel unsatisfying or does it feel like it's overall a just decision? And again, whether you think this demonstrates, again, kind of an independence in the judiciary that's commendable. I think that that shows the institutions in our country. Really, we are really developing them. But I, I should be frank with you. Today, if just ask about what people are interested today, like they are interested, first of all, in the war, what's going on. And uh, yeah, that is that we need to, for, to, to give all the names to everything and those who are guilty should, should be taken to responsibility. And definitely that is the right way to go. But I can't tell you that this is something which is like we, we are all concentrated about today. Because the war is continuous. Yeah, and it's so consuming and it's so exhausting. And that is difficult. Yeah, that's the truth. Also, I would like to add, you asked me in the beginning about democracy, and there was also mention about elections. I just want to be absolutely clear with you that I am against any elections in Ukraine today, not just because it is almost impossible to do from a practical point of view. We just imagine we are every day attacked by Russians. There is air raid alert. They can do it for the whole day. So the only way to do it probably is in shelters. We don't have uh, so many shelters. A uh, million of people is in the trenches. Millions of people are abroad. So it's just impossible to organize the real elections of high standards, which Ukraine did already many times. So we just don't need to do this. And in general, uh, I want us to remind that democracy does not equal elections or electoral procedure. Because if we are saying that democracy, that if somebody is taking a piece of paper and putting some cross in it, we can say that Putin has elections, Lukashenko has elections, but they're not, and it's not democracy. Democracy is the process. And what is much more important, and if our partners, and that is where I also ask the support of our partners, not in organizing of elections, but because we don't really need them. As I told you, in Great Britain, there were no elections from 1935 to 1945. And there was no question about legitimacy of Churchill's government or anything like this. It was clear why they didn't have elections. And the same story here. But we need support of the West to secure Ukrainian democracy as a process, to secure freedom of speech, to secure strong and independent parliament, to secure strong and independent local government, this is important. That is democracy. That is real democracy. And here, Ukraine definitely is a democratic country, but definitely so long martial law time is a threat. And that is something which hurts democracy. And we need to keep our democracy alive and vivid. And here, the support of our partners is really important. Alex, thank you so much for this really candid dispatch from, from Ukraine. Your your honesty and all, all these answers is, is really appreciated. And, and I think 
you know, for Americans to appreciate how you know difficult the situation is and, and, and how much of a toll is taking on the Ukrainians. I mean, it should not be a reason to give up, but it should be a reason to actually double down on our support. So again, thank you so much for being with us. We haven't had a good Slava-Ukraini moment for some time. <laughs> thank you very much. And God bless America. And I'm sure that democracy is stronger than all these tyrannies. And I'm sure the democracies and the free world will win. The only question is the price. So I hope that it will not be too high. Here, here from Dalibor Rohaj, Giselle Donnelly, and Yulia Zosha. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front, a podcast dedicated to security challenges that have erupted along the line running from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, AI.org, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag Eastern Front Pod, written as one word. And don't forget to sign up for the Eastern Front's newsletter through the link included in the show notes to receive more content from the Eastern Front. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Thank you and goodbye.